1: Learn more at Marines.com.
0: Hi, hello, welcome to the Not the Top Twenty podcast, sponsored by Betfair. It's a Monday pod, that means we're reacting to the EFL weekend, we've got so much to talk about. And I'm Ali Maxwell, and with me, nature has healed, and so has George Ellick.
1: Finally. Hello. I am back.
0: God, it's nice to have you back.
1: Oh, it's, there were some low moments um, during my almost two weeks of being in bed and ill. It was pretty grim. Um, lots of different diagnoses as to what had happened. Mm. The issue was is that it was it was mainly throatal. Yes. Which meant that even when I felt a bit better within myself, being a um, podcaster is probably the worst thing you can be when you have an injured throat.
0: Singer? What an important instrument for you.
1: Yeah, singer would be bad. Marvin
0: Gaye? Auction it. Oh. If he'd had a, the similar issue to you, he'd have been out of action for a long time. Are you
1: saying that I'm the Marvin Gaye of podcasting? I would say so. In that Uh, case, let's get it on.
0: A huge thank you to Hugh Davis and to Mike Holden, who filled in for George on the Monday pod and on the betting show last week. Huge congrats to the nation of Wales for a big weekend. Uh, Hugh's friend Gitto actually messaged him to give us the full stat, but four Welsh clubs won on the same day in the EFL for the first time since 1988. No way. And not only that, it was the first time since 1924... That four Welsh clubs won on the same day while keeping clean sheets, and the results on that famous day in 1924 were: Newport one, Northampton nil, Swansea two, Metha nil, Grimsby nil, Wrexham one, and Aberdare Athletic three, Reading nil.
1: Classic Aberdare home win.
0: So, George, a busy pod today, which uh, it's just as well you're back. Really, there there are currently ten managerial vacancies across the 72 teams, which seems. High. Seems like a lot for any given time. Three in the Champ, two in League One, and five in League Two. Uh, but first, we'll celebrate a new manager getting his first win and his club's first win of the EFL season. Sheffield Wednesday beat Rotherham 2-0 on Sunday. George, they were the last team in the 72 to record a league win. And, I mean, it was more straightforward than you'd expect for a first league win <laughs> in, uh, in over a dozen games.
1: Yeah, it was. And, you know, good to do it. In front of their own fans, good to do it against um, a team from just down the road. And Rotherham, good to do it against a side who, you know, unless Sheffield Wednesday or Rotherham massively improve, are probably going to be embroiled together in a relegation battle come the end of the season. So it's a, a big three points for loads of reasons it wasn't necessarily the most scintillating display from Sheffield Wednesday, but it didn't really need to be. Um, you know, it was interesting to see Barry Bannon for the first time at the this the season pulling the strings. Uh, a couple of through balls that created chances and the first goal for Michael Smith, which was very scrappy, but it was a ball from Bannon setting Masaba up down uh, the left-hand side that, that created the chance in the first place. Were you so, not
0: somewhat scintillated by Masaba sprinting in behind on three or four occasions in the first half? I was, I
1: was, I was fairly impressed. I mean, I, I'm not... Um, just to clarify here, I'm not pouring cold water on on this victory. All I'm saying is, I'm not sitting here being like, "Wow, roll ball!" Let's see more of this. Um, but for him, I think, as a new manager coming in, not only to Sheffield Wednesday, but also, you know, this is his first win as a manager. And had they lost this game, given the position they were in, given how far cut adrift they were from the teams above them, including Rotherham, and had they lost at home to a side again just down the road, I think it would have been very hard. him to take like on paper he'd have come into the club knowing that or hoping at least that they'd be able to get their first win of the season before this one but probably would have had this earmarked as being an opportunity to get that done and having lost their first two games under him both away from home both to nil to Watford and Plymouth Argyle um, this is a really important victory that will get buy-in from the fans I don't think there was necessarily not buy-in from the fans anyway to be honest I think we've seen since Roll's appointment that His CV and maybe a a different profile of manager has meant that Sheffield Wednesday fans are excited for the first time in a long while. Mm. That was dampened, of course, by the unpaid HMRC bill, which means that currently Sheffield Wednesday are operating under an embargo. Wednesday fans will hope that that is sorted out by the time the January window opens. Um, But yeah, this is, you know, this has to kickstart their season. Uh, For Smith to get a couple of goals is really important. It was only a really decent save uh, from Johansson that prevented him from getting his hat trick. They were by far the better side, Rotherham. Um, were poor on the day and, and didn't really offer a great deal um, themselves. So, a significant win for the home side, um, tough to take for Rotherham the manner of their defeat. And yeah, I, I guess a, a result that hopefully will kickstart. Well, hopefully we'll get the ball rolling at Hillsborough um, in terms of them improving to, to try and get back in touch with the teams sitting outside the relegation zone at this time.
0: If Masaba can start every week and be that threatening every week. That will be a massive boon for Wednesday. They don't have a ton of players of that profile, I think, that can kind of stretch the opposition both vertically and horizontally uh, from wide areas. And uh, Windass playing very well too. I still wince a little bit when I see the team that Röhl has at his disposal, but there's no point banging on about that. He, he seems to be rolling his sleeves up and happy to crack on. So um, more power to him. Um, great day, finally, for Wednesday, winning in the league this season. Uh, George QPR played league leaders Leicester. Uh, Leicester made it nine wins in a row. Mavadidi with a deflected effort that looped over Begovic in the first half. And actually, an hour in, QPR were level, having equalised. They're putting up a pretty decent fight, I would say, considering how most expected that game to go. But for the third time in five games, they had a player sent off. This one, as as brainless as, as any, uh, Andre Dozell, who'd scored their goal with a, a sweet strike from the edge of the box on the rebound, uh, put in a what was a very poor tackle kind of an orange card tackle mm. and then proceeded to sh- uh, well he was pushed and then retaliated by pushing uh, the Leicester player Fatawu, um getting two yellows for that getting sent off and playing against Leicester is, is hard enough with 11 men it's hard enough with 11 men when you're the worst team in the division uh, and particularly when you go down to 10 men uh, it still took a, a beauty from Harry Winks though you made all sorts of noises <laughs> when you watched this one back
1: I didn't know that Harry Winks could kick the ball that hard. If I'm honest, um, an incredible strike from him. Someone who you don't see take very many shots, but the way that he uh, hit that ball, yeah, had me making um, some interesting noises. It, it's it's Leicester again. You know, this is nine wins in a row. But th- this is you know it often gets said, and we've often spoken about um, the whole. You know, it's a sign of a good team when you when you win playing badly. It's a sign of a successful team when you win playing badly. And Leicester at the moment have two sides to their performances they're either at their brilliant best and they just blow a team away who can't really get near them or they underperform and they struggle to break teams down here against arguably the worst team in the league they struggle to break down 10 men for the most part and relied on a moment of absolute quality from an England international or a former England international to get them out of a of a hole but they have done that consistently you know that's you know it's the fifth or sixth time this season they have scored a goal after the 80th minute that's won them three points in a in a, in a single goal margin of victory and that in itself you know as we get into November um, because they have quality players who are able to score that that kind of goal you know even though I'm sure i would be very surprised if there aren't periods between now and the end of the season where they going to have sticky patches that might be a game here or a game there we saw against Hull in the the one game that they didn't win this season they lost 1-0 it was a strange game where they were behind for a long time at home and yet were unable to really create too much or or pile on too much pressure I think um their ability to get over the line is is so impressive it's probably got a lot to do with the the uh, profile a lot of their players and players like Winks were able to step up to the plate having kind of been there and done it at, at a at a high level so um you know, I was ready and excited having not been on the pod last week to kind of having earlier in the season been not negative, but juries out with, with Leicester kind of expect them to go to Loftus Road to hammer QPR and sit down and say, look, we need to um, really talk about how great Leicester are. I think that conversation will come, but in a way, I think This is more about, again, just an ability to put in a 5 out of 10 performance, come away with three points, move on to next week where I'm sure they'll probably be back to their best.
0: Gareth Ainsworth was sacked by QPR just a few hours after this result. The results themselves have been terrible in the last two months, two points in their last nine league games, one point in their last six at Loftus Road. There have been times, George, in the last six weeks in particular where they've they've barely looked like a competitive football team in the sense that there have been games, in fairness, against teams with much bigger budgets and more impressive squads like Leeds United springs to mind, uh, where they've just sat back and sat back and hoped for the best and offered incredibly little. And Ainsworth has been sacked. Uh, I'm, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. I, I find it difficult to focus on Ainsworth here because... This is one of the worst 12 months of decision-making and governance I can remember from a football club. It has been, to me, pretty embarrassing. And again, I don't want to focus too much on Ainsworth because I think there were broadly no surprises as to how this played out. The way that the squad was built over the summer, the footballing approach, and the difficulty that that squad have had to pick up points with that approach and responded or not, as the case seems to have been to his motivational skills, there's been no surprises at all, but they're left in a complete mess.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see where they turn now. I mean, all the um reports out of the club seem to suggest that Neil Warnock is being lined up to return to QPR. As I, I don't know it's been nearly forty eight hours now and that hasn't happened yet. You kind of always think with short term, you know, if if that is the plan and they're gonna go after and get someone into, you know, Warnock to come into the end of the season.
0: John Percy was straight on it with yeah. Warnock by the yeah. end of Saturday night. I and think. he's normally... Um, he doesn't miss mm, normally.
1: Normally he doesn't, no. So, but, and if they go with Warnock, then you know you can understand the, the short-term thinking in terms of we need to stay up. Who is the person that keeps you up? It's Neil Warnock. Sorry,
0: we've got a phrase and it's not who keeps you up. Who
1: guarantees survival.
0: Does Neil Warnock guarantee survival no. for QPR?
1: No, no, of course he doesn't. I mean he he probably gives them a, a tangibly more chance of staying up than they had um with, with Gareth Ainsworth at the helm, given their performance levels and given what he's done in the past. But at the same time, you know, I'm I'm always pretty keen to take on these trends. And um and it almost feels to me a bit early for Warnock. Like it feels like he might get a massive reaction out of them in November and December and suddenly it's January and they're like, Hold on, we've got another four months to go this season, Neil um yeah, I agree you can't retire now
0: so in fashion and in football george is always keen to take on the trend. but it's
1: uh, <laughs> but but it's also i mean i wish people could see your glasses <laughs> right now uh it's um yeah it's, it there's there's just got to be it, you know if it is warnock and i'm and i'm i'm by no means knocking the appointment even though you know his popularity across the QPR fan base um you know, I think there are some people who absolutely despise him and some people who want him in immediately.
0: Now, you're very understandably pleased with your Ben Stokes, Neil Warnock comparison. Mm. And you uh, tweeted a picture of Ben Stokes in reply to us uh, talking about Warnock on Saturday night. And I really enjoyed someone. Sorry, I don't have the name in front of me who replied to you saying 35 for three. I know. Australia lead by 350. Day two evening session. That's when I mean. it's a bit Isn't early. It perfect, yeah, it's perfect. It's a bit early
1: for Stokes. Like he can't tee off. <laughs> Are we going to see a classic Stokes innings where Warnock comes in and just doesn't really do much for the first few months? Because we know that Ben Stokes, for all of his fireworks, he can block like the best of them. You know, like at Headingley, he spent the first what day just just staying in, and I don't right. know if Neil's got in him to do that.
0: We will find out. QPR sacking Gareth Ainsworth. They had all the eggs in the Ainsworth basket. And in the end, they look like a basket case. <laughs> That's my line on that. Uh, Ipswich 3, Plymouth Argyle 2, George. The battle between last season's League 1 top 2. And it was Ipswich who won by three goals to two. Uh, we've got to talk about an absolute screamer from Morgan Whitaker yeah. that put Plymouth Argyle ahead. Uh, and then we've got to talk about an incident at 1-0 involving Mustafa Bundu and George Edmondson.
1: We do. I mean, this this game feels like a minefield in terms of discussion like it was before the game it was always going to be a tasty affair given you know that the battle between the two sides last season Plymouth Argyle winning the title Ipswich fans and certain podcasters maintaining that Ipswich were the best team in the league even if um they came second in it you know Argyle certainly went to, to Ipswich with a point to prove and Whittaker started um proving that point with a with a magnificent goal the the contentious moment came after that with um Bundu basically clean through and I don't know what George Edmundson is thinking who slides in with absolutely no chance of getting the ball whatsoever. Now from my reading on on this, and this is trying to be as neutral as possible, Edmondson looks to kind of tries to commit or well, tries to 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 win the ball with his right foot. And it is trailing left foot that ends up catching Bundu. And there's absolutely, definitely contact. The contact is in the area as well. I've seen some Ipswich fans saying he's already on his way down. It's totally and utterly irrelevant. It just doesn't matter at all. Like if he'd gone down and there wasn't contact, then yeah, fine. But he hasn't instigated contact. There is clearly a trip there. We have absolutely no way of knowing what would have happened had Bundu not been caught. It is a foul. It is a red card. And it is a penalty. I, I just think that's, that's fairly clear to see. So... I think Argyle fans have every right to feel really aggrieved. I think most Ipswich Town fans who look at this without any bias would would concede that. And and I I think Argyle played with a lot of... deserve credit for their performance after that. But I've I've seen a lot of Argyle fans seem to say that Town didn't deserve the win off the back of of that moment. Whereas I think on the balance of play from 1-0, ignoring the penalty decision, I think Ipswich were the better side. I thought they created the better chances. George Hurst set free from one-on-one to make it 2-1. Marcus Harness finishing off to make it 3-1 before Joe Edwards got a goal to make it 3-2.
0: Well, we've really enjoyed the Argyle-Ipswich dynamic. (laughs) Have we? For some time now. I know I have. Perhaps no more so than this weekend, where we had a really entertaining, high-quality championship match between two teams. We also had we're, it's probably the, the the rivalry where we've been involved in the most sort of crossfire and um, Twitter interaction. Uh, within an hour of full time, John had tweeted us <laughs> to say, uh, before you mindlessly, I'm going to have to change the word here, pleasure Ipswich for the Xth.
1: Pleasure Ipswich.
0: <laughs> know that they're the worst team Plymouth have played so just- far. Yeah, And have only won through an appalling refereeing display and luck. Only the most tractor-tinted fans would see that as deserved. Now, you've already covered what you think, but I wanted to shout out John for a perfectly written, angry, full-time tweet mm. aimed at a couple of podcasters. I also love the idea of being tractor-tinted. <sighs> It's an incredible piece of phrasing. No surprise, really, given that it appears that he has written for The Guardian, The New York Review of Books, (laughs) The Nation, The Atlantic, Foreign Policy, The Intercept, and The Columbia Journalism Review as well. So great phrasing. Thanks, John.
1: I'll never get bored of fans tweeting us accusing us of bias after a game yes. unless it's Knoxwood I know I hadn't even seen it yeah <laughs> I felt a bit put upon
0: I also really like the idea of Ipswich being the worst team Argyle have played uh, in particular as certain Argyle fans and I'm not saying John's one of them did seem quite keen to use the league table as definitive evidence of team quality mm. only a few months ago, uh, which would suggest that our Ipswich are actually quite a good team. But perhaps. Does not. the
1: table lie or not, John?
0: Woolwell Green followed it up by saying, Even you will see that Argyle were a better team, but were let down by Im- incompetent officials, but you won't mention it on your podcast. Just say how amazing Ipswich are. Didn't, sadly. Spent too long, if anything, mentioning it on the podcast. <laughs> Busy week. Uh, we'll see you at, on Saturday at Home Park, John and Woolwell Green. First one to spot George Ellick in the Barbican afterwards gets a pint. <laughs> uh, and for Ipswich, at some point we're going to have a serious discussion about Vaclav Khladki mm. and Leaf the Leaf Davis and how absolutely incredibly both of these Does players Walton are playing right now. Does get back in the side? Absolutely not. Mad, no it? question mm. that Khladki is number one. Leeds beat Huddersfield 4-1. George, brutal first-half domination, really. 4-0 at half time. Dan James and Crescencio Somerville both at the double it's one of those where you know I feel like I'm repeating myself every week but the the four attacking players for Leeds at the moment are getting so much from each other and from for example the movement of root air creating the space for the wide players making dangerous runs, James and Somerville in this case, with Pirot, whose very presence necessitates attention from uh, defensive midfielders, from centre-backs as well. And it's the wide players at the moment, Somerville and James, who are benefiting most from that in, in, uh, in, in goals terms. Somerville's now the only player in the Championship that's played more than half the available minutes and is averaging over one goal and assist per 90. Helps when you get four goal contributions in one game, two assists and two goals. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'd I'd watched Leeds's game midweek against Stoke. They'd lost 1-0. They hadn't started very well in that game, it's fair to say. Uh, They came back into it and, of course, Bamford missed the penalty, his third penalty miss in a row for Leeds. They conceded very soon afterwards when a a set-piece header hit the bar and then hit a Leeds defender and went in. There was a very emotional reaction to that within the fan base. And I, and I do understand it. And obviously centred at to, at Bamford and the penalty. I would say my more dispassionate analysis was they didn't start very well. They came back into it, score the penalty. They likely win. For me, it wasn't time to overreact. So I was, in, in a sense, pleased to see the team respond with this performance. But from a Leeds point of view and a fan point of view, I do understand why with Leicester and Ipswich setting the pace that they are any dropped points basically feel like the end of the world because there's already a a decent gap uh, that's built up between second and third. What about Huddersfield, George? The second time in four days that they found themselves four nil down at half time was the same uh, against Cardiff in midweek. There's, as you can imagine, a lot of fingers being pointed at Darren Moore. I would lean more towards the fact that I think it's a very poor squad. And I think the, I realise that a manager's job is to get the most out of the players at his disposal, uh, but I look at Huddersfield's team that went to Ellen Road, am I surprised in the slightest that they got
1: absolutely picked off? Not really. It's it's very weird because whilst I agree with you about um, the squad not being great, this is still a squad that went five unbeaten you know, in September, so last month, this is still a squad who... You know, Argyle fans may not have been impressed with Ipswich, but if you ask Ipswich fans who are the best teams they've played against this season, Huddersfield would absolutely be up there. And that one-all draw, Ipswich really struggled and, you know, came away from Huddersfield pretty thankful to to, to get a point. So, you know, that other managers have shown, well, one other manager has shown um, some that there is some quality in this squad. But if you take out Neil Warnock's reign, and you look at just Schofield, Fotheringham and now more, I mean, it feels like the stock of Warnock kind of increases in terms of pure results. I mean, the underlying numbers were always troubling, but this is, you know, we, we'll talk about Birmingham in a second, but there are a few uh, examples at the moment of managers coming into, which is quite rare, <clears throat> of managers coming into a club when a fan base don't necessarily want to change. And that makes it incredibly hard. You know, for, for Darren Moore, he's now his side have now conceded four goals in three of their last five games. Even in the 2-1 win over QPR, they went 2-0 up with their first two shots and then QPR kind of came back into the game and, and were the dominant side from there on in. At Sheffield Wednesday, at the time, the worst team in the league, they were unable to really show any kind of dominance. So, yeah, I mean, whether it's more, whether it's the squad, I'm not entirely sure. But the issue is that even, though, even if I do agree... Another person has shown that this is a squad capable of getting good enough results at a championship level to fend off relegation. Not just a- another
0: person though, is it? Neil Warner. No, yeah. The most successful manager in the lower I know. of all time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but no, but that's but that's what I mean though. So that's, even if we are right and it's a bad squad, yeah. that's something that Moore cannot hide behind. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, an, it's not an impossible job.
0: <laughs> I'm now <laughs> picturing Darren Moore trying to hide behind Neil Warnock and it's one of my favourite ever visuals. I'd have to crouch. What do you think is more interesting to talk about out of Southampton 3, Birmingham 1 and Sunderland 3, Norwich 1? Both highly interesting, I'd say.
1: Always. Um, I think Sunderland 3, Norwich 1 is probably the one to discuss here. Sunderland, um, after a really good performance in midweek where they went to Leicester and did what not many teams have done to Leicester where they really took the game to them and could, you know, could feel unfortunate that they didn't get something from the game in my mind because they created a lot of decent chances against them. But they were good here, again. We know that they are able to create lots of goals opportunities. Uh, the goal's been given to try Hume for the equaliser after Huang put Norwich ahead deflected off Shane Duffy. Um, Dan Neal scored the second after some very good work from The main man himself, one of the hottest properties in the EFL, probably the hottest maybe. He's so good. Jack Clark, he's very good. And then Clark showed, I think, every side of of his game in the third (laughs) where he showed some tenacity to rob Duffy of the ball. He then showed his very quick feet, won the penalty himself and then stuck it away to make it 3-1. So Sunderland back to winning ways, showing themselves again to be, certainly in my mind, um, one of the best of the rest uh, if we're taking... Um, the relegated sides from last season and it was just being the best and then for Norwich now after such a promising start to the season it just turns out you can't rely on an academy grad who scores a every game to be the reason why you're good like it is it is bleak uh, at the moment for Norwich David Wagner's tenure feels like it's you know if if there are 10 vacancies at the moment how long till there are 11
0: three defeats in a row not only that but after that brilliant August, where they played some great stuff and they picked up a lot of wins. But now for two calendar months worth of football, they're in the bottom three in the championship for results. And bottom three, four, five for underlying numbers as well. This isn't just concerning, it's it's approaching desperate. Um, Wagner's overall record since joining, what, just after halfway through last season uh, in the league is 34 games. Uh, 12 wins, 7 draws, and 15 defeats. So three more defeats than wins. 1.26 points per game. Uh, it's it's not impressive numbers. Uh, they've conceded more goals under Wagner than they've scored. It's clearly not the standards to which the, the club uh, and the fans are are aiming for. And it's an interesting situation, George, off the field, because Stuart Weber, who uh, hired Wagner at Huddersfield, who hired Wagner at Norwich, uh, who has been... The departing sporting director for quite a long time now. Uh, we know his replacement is Ben Nappers, who's previously been with Arsenal as loans manager. Uh, he will step up into that role, but there's a bit of a handover. There's a bit of uh, you know e- Weber playing out his notice period. It's all it's all quite unusual, I would say, in footballing terms. You don't normally get these situations. Clearly, there's strong relationship between Weber and the ownership at Norwich and also his wife uh, Zoe who is a, in a very senior role within the club as well so you know it's an unusual situation in a few different uh, aspects of it and it certainly seems like the fans have made up their mind they want to see a managerial change but it may be that um, either for uh, reasons of of uh, performance measurement or for, for reasons of kind of situational reasons off the field uh, that it it may not happen we will see uh, Saints beat Birmingham 3-1 Russell Martin, Southampton now unbeaten in six four wins in that time they're they're definitely looking quicker and slicker they seem to be playing forward a little bit quicker uh, to my eyes anyway in the final third Um, the movement off the ball is is better in the final third Armstrong in particular has had a great few weeks Uh, Alcaraz in particular has had a big few weeks uh, Suleimana as well is playing very, very, uh, very well off the left side. Flynn Downs has established himself and clearly Russell Martin just absolutely loves him. Smallbone as well is performing. Uh, I even noticed that James Bree. Suddenly. The le- <laughs> suddenly James Bree <laughs> playing left back, um, yeah. sort of inverted left back. Ryan Manning on the bench here and Bree started the last two in that role. So that's something to watch as well, but a really impressive and much needed Positive few weeks for Saints, uh, who now are in the top four. uh, Them and Leeds looking uh, upwards at Ipswich and Leicester and probably going like, bloody hell, they're quite far away, aren't they? Best best get a move on. Uh, As for Wayne Rooney and Birmingham City, it's three defeats. Nothing but defeats so far. I'm desperately trying not to go like, whoa, this is rubbish. They should never have sat useless and brought in Rooney. This is an absolute disaster and they've got what was coming to them. But also, it couldn't have gone much worse.
1: Oh, I think there's just a lesson here around when to make changes. I just I feel like for Wayne Rooney, and I know that Birmingham fans will think that there's no need to feel sorry for him, but coming into a club who are, you know, a, a fan base who are pretty much united behind the manager in John Eustace, when the whole footballing world feels like the person whose job you've taken has been harshly treated... But not only that, you come in after back-to-back wins and a club who have a mid-table budget, you'd think, sitting in fifth in the table, probably a position that wasn't sustainable under Eustace anyway. But nevertheless, it will always remain and go down in history that Birmingham City were fifth when Wayne Rooney came into the club. And that will be what he has measured on forever now. So if they end up being 15th this season, 18th, it'll always be, we were fifth. We were fifth when he came in. Might have been sixth. They were fifth. I'm okay. pretty sure. Okay. If, if if they were sixth, then everything I've said <laughs> is quite funny. Um, <laughs> but it's but you know, there was a period earlier in the season when Birmingham's performances weren't that great. And for the first time, you and I remember talking about it, being like, oh, have you seen there are a few Birmingham fans being like, is to the man to take us forward? And it feels like if Rooney had come in then, then he'd be afforded more time. But, you know, he, Birmingham being booed off the pitch in his first three games him allegedly being told to F off by supporters as he walks down the tunnel it it just doesn't lend itself to being a very conducive um, or being conducive to to a a very positive environment in order to build a sustainable winning team Um, you know big for them that they were better in the second half against Southampton albeit it's quite easy to look a bit better when you're 2-0 down and haven't really touched the board in the first half a really good goal from Stansfield Mm. who I think, is showing himself to be very, very good and should be someone who should be starting games for Birmingham, in my mind. Djukovic went closer to one. I mean, you know, that would have made a, a serious game of it before Santon made the point safe late on. D- there is very little right now in, in Birmingham's performances under Rooney to inspire hope. There's very little to suggest that they have done anything but take backward steps since Eustace came in and it, and it does kind of feel like Rooney is in a position where he will be fully aware that his job is totally safe like he was the man identified by a new ownership group um, presumably in part because of his profile uh, because I wouldn't say there's a great deal in his managerial career to suggest that he was the absolute man to do it I also think he's hamstrung by the you know the, the words of the owners when he was appointed with this whole no fear playing philosophy like every time I watch Birmingham now I'm like where is this no fear stuff like if anything it feels like they've retreated further into their shells since Eustace left and Rooney since Eustace left and Rooney came in so yeah it's it's grim right now Um, uh, it's been a difficult run of games I guess but we'll see if Rooney could manage to somehow turn this around because right now they are heading backwards and fast
0: difficult run of games mate tell that to Stoke City yeah. who've played Sunderland, ooh, good team, Leeds, wow, good team, and Middlesbrough, whoa, six league wins in a row, good team, beating them all, mm. Beaten them all, and this win at Borough, the best of the three. Uh, the Sunderland game spoke about last Monday, probably annoying for me to say it again, but definitely could have gone either way. The Leeds game, they are about to face a penalty at 0-0 with not that much longer in the game, Definitely could have gone either way. And then they just go and beat Middlesbrough and play really well. Make five changes for midweek, but strong start to the game, which always speaks to a clear game plan, I think. Set-piece opener, happy days, and then a really nice second goal. Sort of smooth, efficient attacking play, passing and movement, and a good finish from Mehdi Leris, who looks like a really nice pickup this summer. And a lot of those guys are bedding in very nicely. So the fact that having gone tunnel-up after half an hour at Borough, They then only faced seven shots in the 60 minutes subsequent to that, I think, is another highly impressive uh, note. And uh, yeah, I think, George, in the seeded batch, which we reintroduced last week with you, there are always going to be teams who crack out three games, three wins in a row. There's going to be teams that crack out three defeats in a row. And uh, it doesn't always need, need to mean getting carried away. However... The level of the opposition the manner of particularly this performance against Borough. Got to say, it's been a lovely week or so for Stoke City and their fans.
1: Yeah, it really has been ever since I sat on the podcast and said how poor they were against Leicester. They've rammed it down my throat. Really impressive. Um, and I think, you know, they've been, as you say, pretty marginal games. But to get over the line of the way they have done, a lot of talk about how Middlesbrough's um, good has put them on the periphery of the playoff race but you know Stoke after that win and just one point behind Borough in 11th so certainly have inserted themselves into the conversation
0: very good for buy-in I think uh, Swansea beat Blackburn 1-0 this looked like a, a very entertaining game between two quite sort of evenly matched teams uh, both keen to attack and not looking that solid defensively Liam Cullen's quality curling finish won an entertaining game um, Rovers had had three straight wins heading into this and Swans had lost their two previous games. So uh, it went against the form and I think it could have easily gone either way. Blackburn generated 1.75 expected goals, missed three big chances per mob. Smoddix and Leonard in particular had good chances. Uh, And at the other end, Jamal Lowe, Jerry Yates, Liam Cullen were an absolute menace to start the game, disrupting Blackburn's defenders uh, and all of them looking really, really dangerous. They, They also basically gave the Swansea... In-house co-commentator a heart attack on about four different occasions. Callum Yates yeah, crossing it, header on the first yes a Goal from London! The Flag is up. Oh, come on! Oh, Ooh, yes! The middle of come on! It's through for Swansea. Yes! Not yes! offside again. I'm afraid it is, Wyndham. Oh, come on! Oh, score! Hello. Liam Go for it himself. Left yeah! Onside.
1: <laughs> well done, Liam Boy.
0: Yeah, that gave us a right old laugh this morning in the office. Uh, more of that, please. Um, uh, more w- Welsh wins. Cardiff. Sending Bristol City back over the bridge with uh, their tails between their legs. Real injury crisis suffered by Bristol City. And I think the first goal, which was just Perry and G popping up completely unattended to head home from six yards kind of summed up that but for Cardiff they don't care about that they had one of another sort of wonderful moment uh, of the season so far Tanner's goal against Swansea will be tough to beat but Colwell's magnificent feat and powerful finish to uh, to wrap up the win uh, against a team that they are very happy to beat would have been an absolutely magic moment and uh, there was a great video that uh, Matt, our social legend, posted on at NTT20pod on Twitter, uh, a brilliant fan video of that Colwell goal, which I would recommend you go and watch. They're now into the top six, Cardiff. Uh, unfortunately, overshadowed somewhat by the fact that Bristol City have sacked Nigel Pearson uh, after this game and after what's felt like a couple of weeks where tensions have been played out fairly publicly regularly through Pearson's post-match interviews and ends in in this sort of normal way, which is the removal of him as, as manager.
1: And on the face of it, it, it does look harsh. You know, you mentioned the injuries just there. They have a lot of players who are out um, at the moment, many of whom would walk back into this side and many of which look set to be coming back fairly soon. And Pearson will feel frustrated that he wasn't afforded the time to work with him but I, th- I kind of think that misses the point a bit like often when you look at a decision taken to sack a manager and it doesn't really make sense on the evidence in front of you when you look at the league table and, and achievements and whatever else there's normally more at play probably and we aren't privy to what is going on behind the scenes as you say it's been very clear to see from Pearson's demeanour and his post-match interviews that he has been aware or he is, you know, part of something that isn't necessarily right behind the scenes. The reasons for that we don't know. Clearly, this is another case where it's going to be awkward for whoever comes in because right now, um, Bristol City fans are not happy about the decision to sack um, Nigel Pearson. You know, you see Pearson has, has tweeted a, uh, a thread this morning, basically thanking Bristol City fans and talking about how much he loves the area, talking about how. You know he's going to be in the pubs around Bristol in in the coming weeks, and hopes to chat with fans. And and you know you see an outpouring of love towards him. It, it, it's not often that you see um, things end that way, unless there has been tangible achievement, and there hasn't been because um, this is to, you know not taking anything from Nigel Pearson. But it's not like he's delivered a promotion. It's not like he's delivered. A cup win, I think all it is, is that Bristol City fans have enjoyed going to watch their team under his stewardship. They've enjoyed his openness and honesty as a an honesty as a uh, as a manager, which you often don't get. They Bristol City fans are not particularly happy at the moment with the ownership group, with the Lansdowne family, which has been made clear. Having said that, I I do think, and it's the same with with Birmingham, and it's the same with Huddersfield, and at the moment the signs aren't good but it's very hard to judge this decision until you see who the replacement is going to be because you know, the Lansdowne's own the club they're the ones who work with Nigel Pearson every week or every, well, every day and it's up to them if they don't believe the club is heading in the direction where they want it to head in even if the short term results might be okay and the fans are on side, it is their prerogative to go out and, and, and make an improvement so it'll be interesting to see who they get in it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see maybe a a different profile of manager maybe someone more in the, the lee johnson mold i'm not saying him obviously but someone who is a bit younger who maybe will encourage a, a slightly more um attacking's the wrong word because they're not a defensive side now but maybe a more innovative style of play possibly like a, a, a just a sexier profile of manager but it's another case where whoever it is that comes in Immediately, like Normally, if you sack a manager and the fans are all behind like QPR, for example, if it is Warnock, wh- whoever it's going to be will come in with everyone being like, yes, this is our new hope. This is the guy who's going to save our season. At Bristol City, it's not the case. It's a case of like, this is the guy in Nigel C. This is the guy who's come in to replace. So the pressure's going to be on immediately. Um, I think it's a really attractive job. I think it's a great club. I think the fans certainly... Um, you know, won't take much wheeling over if someone comes in with bright ideas and, and results turn. But in this era of football where we are seeing so much managerial change, it does feel like there is a new, like a new profile of change, which is this like fans kind of being like, what's going on? We don't want this to happen. So uh, yeah, all eyes to see who who, what kind of profile they go after now.
0: Jaden Philogene put in what I think might be the best individual display of the season. No, it can't be. It was a 1-0 win and he scored a goal. (laughs) There must, there have been more impactful You can say,
1: especially when you've got Jack Clark, who's basically been doing that performance that Philogene put in all season as well. Get the ball on the left. Chop, step over, chop, step over, chop, step shoot.
0: Yeah. I'd like to immediately retract (laughs) uh, my previous statement. What I will say is it's absolutely insane what Jaden Philogene is doing right now. Um, And I don't need to compare him to anyone else, but watch the highlights on Hull's YouTube channel of this game against Preston. My reaction to Philogene's performance was so visceral that I ended up taking a load of random screenshots that I'll never really use of the moment he received the ball on four different occasions and then the final action that he then made, which was generally a shot, to try and show how unbelievable his ball carrying was in this game. The, the Preston defenders couldn't get near him. He kept receiving it wide left, like on the halfway line. And then nine seconds later, having completed seven dribbles and done 19 chops and step overs, he's getting a shot off. Uh, a couple of them were blocked. A couple of them were saved. He had seven shots in total and he scored a brilliant goal and he won the game for Hull. And I think basically Hull at the moment, as simplistic as it is, and I'm sure there'll be kickback from this, is like they're, they're playing to a good level. They are competitive in most games. Their games are not um, open. They're not particularly high scoring. And Philogene's quality is turning tight games into Hull points more often than not at the moment. And that's seen them hit the top six. It, it, I actually thought them spending that amount of money on him, and I don't know the exact fee, but I think five million quid is quoted. That always scares me a little bit when a, a, a team without parachute payments is spending that mm, amount of I money agree. on a single player.
1: Especially when they the didn't put up trees in a whole campaign last season.
0: Well, it? but I, I actually think if you look at the numbers from last season, Philogene did stand out quite nicely in what was pretty poor Cardiff team that didn't give him a lot to work with. So I think it's really good recruitment. And I guess if you're going to spend that amount of money on a player a current England under 21 international of this profile that is so popular at the top of the game, wide forward, incredibly skillful, can shoot with both feet. It's actually, you know, it's better than spending it on a defensive midfielder, shall we say, because there's just more chance of getting a big old fee in the future. Um Watford 2, Millwall 2 was just quite a fun game at Vicarage Road. Yasser Spreer. Scored a charge down, like a ricochet, uh, to put Watford ahead. Then Millwall scored two set-piece goals. Uh, set-piece goals back on the menu for them. Fleming and Harding, um, a couple of Jerons there scoring. And uh, Mileta Ryovic headed home, a loser cross to equalise late on. Coventry are playing West Brom on Monday night. Uh, we don't know what the score is going to be in that one. So if you're listening to this on any time after 10 o'clock on Monday, let us know. Reading hosted Portsmouth and before the game, Reading fans in their thousands, marched to the ground. And the message was very, very clear, and that is urging the owner, Dai Young, to sell the club and to do so at a fair valuation and ideally to a prospective owner that has the club's best interests at hearts at heart and will operate the club properly, turning into a functioning football club that does not get docked points with such regularity, that is not placed under embargoes and business plans with such regularity on account of um, going against the rules set in place in order to to keep the show on the road in the EFL. Uh, The fans made their voices heard just like they did in the 80s when Robert Maxwell tried to merge Oxford United and uh, Reading to create Thames Thames Valley Valley Royals. Yeah. And they, they came together once more, they made themselves heard, and hopefully it will have an impact, George. In fact, there's, there's been some murmurings on social that Mike Ashley is making inquiries, shall we say, is showing interest in Reading FC. Is that worrying, or is that at this stage lesser of two evils type
1: stuff? The second, definitely. I, I Well, I think both, but... <clears throat> As a Reading fan, a couple of years ago, the idea of Mike Ashley buying your club would, would have been deeply concerning. In the position that Reading are currently in, um, with you know, on on the one um, on the one hand, from a purely footballing point of view, the consistent points deductions, but on the other hand, in a much more concerning position, the absolute inability to pay bills and to provide the EFL with assurances of the long term financial safety of the football club the fact that Ashley coming in would probably solve both of those issues is absolutely paramount you know he would you would think provide some stability in a very literal way to Reading now that comes at a cost elsewhere where it feels very unlikely to me that we're going to see Mike Ashley come in by Reading and immediately pump loads of money back into the club in in an attempt to take them back to the Premier League. Like That isn't the way that he works. There's a reason why Mike Ashley's name basically crops up these days when clubs are staring down the barrel. But right now, if it's from from a neutral's point of view and somebody who absolutely wants the short-term and long-term future of Reading, like every other football club in the EFL or every other football club in the world... (laughs) If it's Dai Yong or Mike Ashley, then the answer is very, very simple and it is Mike Ashley. But I guess probably if you're a Reading fan, you hope that there is another option, which is possibly somebody else who will provide the st- the stability um, and provide the safeguarding of Reading Football Club, but also alongside possibly more ambition in terms of the, the playing side of things.
0: Yeah, very well put and huge credit to the Reading fans for mobilising and for the Sell Before We Die uh, protest group for, well, mobilising the fans and, and helping to organise that. Um, we uh, we hope for good news over the coming days and weeks. Uh, Portsmouth beat them 3-2 from behind. Uh, Colby Bishop doing Colby Bishop things with a, a goal, with a assist that I thought was probably better than the goal to the extent that it just showed off why Bishop is such a handful and why he offers so much to Portsmouth outside of just goals um, being a target wherever they are on the pitch, particularly if the ball is with Jack Sparks and his left foot and the quality that it has, he will find Bishop and his aerial dominance, his physical qualities uh, and his awareness mean that little knockdown and there was Terry Devlin to smash home. I think the goal being scored by Devlin and their first goal being scored by Tino anderin are significant. Uh, Devlin is a 19-year-old Northern Irish sort of uh, attacking midfielder type, um, very tenacious, uh, and someone that they're looking to develop. You know, of course, is a, is a Chelsea Academy wonder kid that's had a really difficult year or two or three with injury and has struggled to uh, impact the senior level uh, in various loans, uh, but who I guess the, the hope and the understanding is, if he can get and stay fit, if he can do the conditioning side of being a professional senior footballer, then the talent is clearly there under the surface and, and, and bubbling over. It was a really nice take for his goal. And those guys will be, will be needed because Portsmouth are having an incredible start to their season. Um, but, it, you know, it takes a it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a squad to, to win a league title. And they're going to need people like Devlin. It's
1: a village to raise a child. Yeah, yeah. Is that a saying?
0: It's a very famous saying.
1: I've never heard it. Really? It's just me and my wife at the moment. Do you not ask Can the we... people in Waltham Forest <laughs> Village to raise your child for you? I've actually moved in a different... different I'm trying place. to throw them off the same. Yeah, I know. It's good. We lived in Waltham So Village, so I could have <laughs> given there are about 600 babies that live there, then that probably would work.
0: It takes a village to raise a child. I've never heard that. Massive phrase.
1: Massive phrase? <laughs> yeah, big old phrase. W- when did it get big?
0: What is one of the biggest phrases, I'd say, in um, ch- in children. In the children it category. It
1: takes a village to raise... I mean, it's it's a terrible proverb.
0: Well, not for you to say. You've only just heard it for the first I know, time. Because, I mean, you don't even know what it means. As someone
1: who is currently raising a child, two's like, yeah? plenty.
0: And have you not asked for a bit of help from your in-laws or your parents or your, uh, or your family members? They don't live in the village. Well, but... In a prom- village?
1: It, t- it takes a family to raise a child, would be quite a nice well, thing. Well, now you're just
0: being obtuse, because no. not every word has to mean its exact meaning. In fact, well, you, particularly in proverbs and hope, idioms, but often words have different meanings. What, so
1: what does child mean?
0: A child. Dog? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> But like Could it, be, yeah, something that you need to look after.
1: I feel like the word "village" is is very specific.
0: Well, where do you think it came from, mate? Back in the day, where it was li- it was a literal thing. Afri- the village. African cultures about right? it. Thank you. The village helped raise the child. We've adapted that to the modern era, and it still has a place in modern lexicon. Okay. Just because you haven't heard, it, don't get
1: upset if you haven't No, no, heard it's just it just it just felt wrong. Ever heard the phrase, it takes a squad to win a league title? I have now. I think (laughs) that that, that aligns better. In fairness, now that...
0: (laughs) That's why I said the other one, because they are, in my eyes, basically equivalent phrases, but one of them pertains to football and the other to child rearing.
1: I do think, in fairness, now, you know, raising a child in modern day London and raising a child in Africa um, were were different things. So I'm not going to be so rude about the proverb anymore. Fine.
0: Well, uh, Portsmouth... (sighs) going well uh going unbeaten actually for the entirety of british summertime as has been pointed out to us bst uh ended mm. over the weekend and it ended without portsmouth having lost a single game in its entirety bst of course is the practice of advancing clocks during warmer months so that darkness falls at a later clock time and george will darkness fall at a later clock time for portsmouth because we can't get much better than this right they're Ridiculous level of unbeatenness and points return. Will on Substack asked an important question. He said, Is Portsmouth gaining 17 points from losing positions so far this season? Broadly encouraging or worrying for the season long-term from your perspective? Can't work it out as a fan, besides being bad for the
1: blood pressure. It's a great question. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Will. It takes a village. To (laughs) to come Uh, from behind. uh, (laughs) I would say... It's it's basically two sides of the same coin. Oh, good phrase. Thank you. Does <laughs> it make any sense? <laughs> oh my god! It's two sides of the same village. Um, it is. It's it, it's it's definitely. You know, from my perspective as a fan of the team who are currently in second, it is unbelievably frustrating to see and surely not sustainable. Like I, I, I don't think Pompey are going to be able to continue to. Um, go behind in games and win so consistently it's just it just doesn't happen but um, you know the, the dispersion of the goals within their games don't change the fact that the fact don't change the fact that they score more goals than their opposition fairly consistently that they have a trait within that squad of being pretty clutch and being able to score late on you know when you look at Leicester um even though they don't have the same coming from behind thing like Leicester or another side who seem to just find a way to get ahead in games late and I think that in itself is normally something that we see in teams who who achieve I don't think this will continue as and I don't necessarily think that Pompey will continue to amass as many points they're doing in, in games they go behind mm. but they could easily stop going behind in so many games yes So it's not a case where they're definitely going to start losing games. I mean, they will, That they're not going to pick up points the way they are now, but I wouldn't say it is inherently a massive concern yet, albeit they have to be better at 0-0.
0: Oxford 2, Wickham 2, ref central, and therefore we're going to avoid it because we used up our ref chat earlier talking about one incident in Ipswich against Plymouth. But fair to say, uh, as George told me earlier, the referee had a big impact on the result of this game and just... Broadly, made a lot of decisions uh, which impacted both teams positively and negatively, and it ended Oxford 2, Wickham 2. Blackpool 2, Peterborough 4 was a big fixture pre weekend, big result post weekend. Peterborough blinking on your radar?
1: Yeah, they have been for a while. I think they look to me to have not really lost much. You know, there was a lot of talk over the summer about them having to balance the books a little bit and maybe not being quite as ambitious and um, Going, as, as, yeah. they, as they normally <laughs> are. Yeah, but I think they haven't really lost too much in that respect. And given, as we keep saying, the quality of the league seems to have dipped, um, it is, yeah, I think they look to me right now to be one of the, the class teams in the division and, and probably maybe at this stage, along with Bolton, and Oxford probably they're they're the four along with Portsmouth who look the likeliest to me to finish in the in the top two. Um, and going to Blackpool beating four two is impressive, albeit they made well they nearly made a bit of a pig's ear of it with with Ollie Casey being sent off.
0: Oh, pig's ear! That's a good idiomatic phrase. What does it mean?
1: It means the ear of a pig. And what does that mean? I
0: don't understand you, uh, the pig's ear. What's that got to do no, with that's, football? That's
1: different. There's 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 no literal. <laughs> Like attempt of meaning, like it takes a village to raise a child, and pig's ear are like totally different things. One is right. a description of something. One is just a sentence. Like a pig, a pig's ear isn't a proverb. There's no, in, there's no. It's in, like, an idiom. Yeah, but exactly. It's got to come from somewhere. Well, yeah, but the there is a a, a meaning to the sentence, right? So Which it, sentence? It is, it is. It takes a, it village. Takes a village to raise yeah. a child.
0: Made there. a pig's ear of it. That's a sentence. Or well, it's half a sentence.
1: Okay, <laughs> but the, but the pig's ear. Unless, okay. Look
0: mate, you went at It Takes a Village, I was waiting for a chance to do the same, I've got it out of my system, I won't do it again, let's go.
1: Ollie Casey sent off after half time um, uh, and you kind of felt then with uh, Peterborough already having missed the penalty, Kwame Poku putting them 1-0 up, it felt like then it would be a case of, of Posh kind of sailing off into the sunset with a, an easy victory, and Harrison Burrow scored a very good free kick, Ricky J. Drone scored a, a nice move, and they were 3-0 up, but suddenly things got a, big, a bit awkward with Kenny Dougal scoring from a set piece, Sonny Carey following that up, and it was suddenly 3-2 to Posh, but in that moment, you know, 11 against 10, I think we saw Ben basically wake up and realise um, that this was a game that they should not or could not be losing. And and from there on in until Ephraim mason Clark made the point safe and atoned for his earlier penalty miss, they were very good. So even though they nearly blew it and even though the 4-2 scoreline may not uh, reflect their dominance in the game 11 v 10, um, I think we saw in this posh side again just evidence that they are very good really. Um, for, For Blackpool, I think you can just draw a line through the game yeah, even though they are one 0 down at half time, um, you know when you're down to ten men, they put in a, a pretty spirited display. It's been a good couple of weeks for them. Um, you know, it's it's two sides who you anticipate will be in the mix for the top six at the very least at the end of the season. But uh, yeah, Posh certainly ones at the moment who are catching my eye.
0: If I ever work for a club, and
1: uh, therefore when when you work for a club,
0: if I ever work for a club and we lose. And you're still podcasting. On my own. The, it, I reckon it's the dream to have George Ellick say, you can draw a line through this one. Give, <laughs> to give you the power to draw a line
1: through it and not worry about it.
0: That, that's what everyone's going for after When you, you, you
1: run out of the office being like, lads, it's fine, <laughs> yeah, it's all it's good. Fine. Don't worry
0: about it, don't worry about it. Um, obviously, the, the other side of the same coin <laughs> is when uh, you win and George tells you that uh, you didn't deserve to. Um, or that it was just sort of um, random luck and stuff uh, uh, six goals in a game and chief goalsman of the EFL Jordan Rose didn't score any of them
1: what mm. and, and nor did uh, Johnson Clark Harris did I he play think he, playing. No, he didn't play he didn't play that's why
0: unless he was playing centre back because I did not see him in any of those he probably
1: should have um, attacks he probably would have taken the pen wouldn't he if he had been on the pitch
0: probably Stevenage beat Derby 3-1 um, two free kicks put them ahead Jordan yeah. Roberts bang low hard Then your old mate McDonald, bang, Hmm. just sort of hard and through Wildsmith, entering the centre of the net quite high up. Thought maybe Keeps might have wanted that one back. Uh, Stevenage very much targeted Derby's left side. That's clear if you look at who scored's average positions and heat map uh, targeted a weakness as they perceived it. Uh, And their third goal came very much down that side as well, scored by Hemmings. Good solid home win for for Stevenage, who'd... uh, drawn their previous two at Bristol Rovers and at home to Vale they lost to Blackpool before that so uh, good for them to get on back on the winning trail still in the top 6 of course but there's now a big difference between the amount of fixtures teams have played so there's a bit of ppg jiggery pokery going on <laughs> um derby are a bit of a topic aren't they in well, league one circles since
1: we've been recording stop it no 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 he's he's fine he's the opposite when you mentioned Kane Hemmings have to mention his 0.87 XG miss it was bad which was bad <laughs> it was um, bad but yeah be, and at this time when we have 10 managerial vacancies I think if before we recorded I would have thought if you had to say who was going to be the next one Warren would have been up there mm. BBC Sport Derby tweeted uh, at one thirty today uh, people at the pe-. it's quite a weird phrasing Maybe they're going to talk about people in the village. People at the top of Derby County have told the BBC Derby Sport that head coach Paul Warren has got their complete backing. As they reiterate the need for stability, and it's understood that he will be able to strengthen in January if required. Warren will speak to the media at two o'clock. So there we go. A, I would say it's not even a vote of confidence. It is a statement of total confidence. <laughs> uh, it is. It is a, a message to the fans there's no point going after the manager here lads he is safe
0: i think it's fair to say all so-called votes of confidence are statements of confidence no one's voting on anything there yeah um phrasing uh fleetwood two barnsley two was a late equalizer from corey o'keefe of barnsley fleetwood not getting over the line frustrating but i feel like they're doing some good things under Lee Johnson, Uh, 11 points from his eight games, which is more points than eight other teams in that time period. Those are the levels they need to to get themselves away from uh, the relegation zone, which they are currently within. Um, Junior Quetina continues to be incredibly fun, Uh, scored two goals here, one of them a beautiful free kick from range, uh, very much uh, after, you know, he didn't start the season in Fleetwood's starting 11 in Scott Brown's thoughts, but the The family motto, of course, is quitting has never quit. And he didn't. Lee Johnson's come in. He said, yes, please. I like that. I like that player a lot. and I want him in my team. And uh, he's backed it up with goals. Quality bit of management from Lee Johnson there. Charlton, nil, Bolton, two. George, I'm a little bit. Am I a bit smug? I'm probably a bit smug, aren't I? I wish I wasn't, but I am. Last week, Charlton, six unbeaten under Appleton. I was talking to Hugh. I said, "I'm, I'm not quite having it. I'm not quite having it back-to-back defeats since then some days you get it right uh, many days you don't Uh, this one a 2-0 win for Bolton and you know underlining that there is still a gap between Charlton and the top teams in the division
1: yeah yeah I think the more concerning performance is probably the one in midweek where they went to Lincoln went 1-0 up and then just faced an absolute onslaught um, from Lincoln who are by far the better side here against Bolton it was just two quality goals especially the first um from randall williams a really nice strike into the far corner Um dion charles followed that up soon after and you kind of feel a little bit for charlton you know the, the, the booze rang out you're 2-0 down at home after 20 minutes um you haven't had a shot but on the balance of play it's just a case where the other side have scored two quality goals to put them um ahead in the game and after that there wasn't much in it panuce Kamara missed a very good opportunity to get um charlton back in the game and spooning over the bar from six yards out i think as you say the are they as bad as they have been this week or are they as good as they were in the six games before? I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, you can blow your own trumpet in the in the, the six-fix on entity uh, 20com um, I covered this game and predicted a 2-1 win for Bolton, basically saying that Charlton's defensive shape at the moment just still isn't particularly good. Like, they concede a lot of chances to, to sides Um on a game-to-game basis, and that's that's something that Appleton has to sort out both between now and January, and probably with reinforcements come um, the the window opening in Jan as well. So, you know, I, I still think Charlton are better off now than they were um under Dean Holden, in part because of the returning players from injury. Um, I'm sure Appleton probably would have learnt a lot more from the last week in two defeats, and probably in the games prior to that. Who have they got? They've got a tricky game on. Um,
0: No easy games, mate. They've got a tricky game on... (laughs) Wigan away.
1: Yeah, they go to Wigan on on Tuesday night and Wigan obviously in in some decent form themselves. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes.
0: Yes, it will. Uh, Bolton getting a lot from their wing-backs at the moment. Randell Williams doing bits over the last few games. Three wins in a row for them, five in their last six. Dacres Cogley on the other side. Just one of the the nicest signings of the summer, I think, in League One. Uh, He's played all but 15 minutes of this league campaign at right wing-back, you know, a role that does demand a lot physically. And I bang on about it about twice a season, but I just think availability, underrated, not talked about enough. Um, he started 45 games for Tranmere the season before last. He started 46 games for Tranmere last season. And that's an incredible attribute and should be hugely important when you're signing a player because sure enough, he's played all but 50 minutes for Bolton. That doesn't mean that it's as simple as that and that players... Uh, who have this record, can't or or won't get injured. But even so, you just know that all being well and with a bit of luck, his body has it in him to perform, recover, perform, recover, perform, recover over and over again. And it's an incredible attribute. And, uh, you know, he'd have been highly sought after. His his underlying numbers were sensational last season in a poor Tranmere team. Uh, Bolton got him and they haven't looked back. You mentioned Wigan. They beat Shrews 2-0, three clean sheets in a row for Wigan, three 2-0 wins. Their season so far has been good streak, bad streak, good streak. Started with three wins in four, then suffered six defeats in seven, and now three wins in a row. Uh, They'd be ninth without the points deduction. So uh, Maloney's got past that bad spell, stuck with him, and made a tweak uh, in terms of formation, which seems to have worked. Gone to a three at the back. Sean Clare's taken on a lot of the ball-playing responsibility with Matt Smith uh, injured at the moment, and that seems to have been a, a good thing, rather than trying to replace Smith with a midfield player. Uh, Adiko had another good game here and Stephen Humphreys, we both independent of each other, were were murmuring positive thoughts about Stephen Humphreys this morning. Dribbling past players for fun, getting shots off, scoring good goals. Um, As for Shrews, seven goals in 15 league games this season is pretty desperate. Bristol Rovers, manager, sacked, Joey Barton. Last week, I'm saying words, not necessarily in the right order, (laughs) but that's the moment of the pod that we're into. Uh, They sacked Joey Barton. Uh, they haven't hired a replacement yet. They did beat Northampton 2-1 with Andy Mangan in the dugout. Uh, Chris Martin scored uh, a long-range lob in midweek and a impudent back-heeled flick mm. on the weekend. Uh, two lovely goals from Chris Martin. God put a smile upon your face. <laughs> Hussein Al-Sayed's a new owner of Bristol Rovers and he spoke publicly over the weekend. Talked about sacking Joey Barton. Basically said, budget around top eight. That's what we're expecting. Results didn't reflect what we have spent and seem to suggest that they're looking for someone who's taken a team from League One to the Championship already, which always makes me a little bit nervy because we don't necessarily think that alone means that that means someone will do it You'll again. you
1: devastated about that statement from BBC Derby Sport.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, other managers, George, that are available that have taken someone from League One to the Championship, Liam Richardson, Daniel Stendel, Lee Bowyer, Chris Wilder, Steve Cotterell, Carl Robinson, Neil Harris, any particular thoughts about the Bristol Rovers vacancy? I think it's
1: a good job. I think as the new majority shareholder kind of said, this is a a decent budget and a squad with loads of quality in it. You know, I saw them live a couple of weeks ago when they were beaten two one by Oxford on a very uneven surface, and um, and they they were they were the better side on the on the day. Um, you know, they have a really nice blend of ball players you know whether it's brian woods who's still you know in the center of the park you know brian woods is a player who was a top-end championship ball-playing midfielder who you know now may not have the legs that he had before but he's still someone who can control uh the game for the middle of the park aaron collins off the left-hand side who was last season's player of the season in the whole division giovanni brown who's you know, been a uh a player who's come in and and elevated um what bristol rovers had in that that part of the pitch who's got a a, you know an eye for goal and a creative spark as well two strikers and John Marquis and Chris Martin who you know can be that goal scoring target man there's loads to work with Um, and then you know lots of um, young talent whether it's on loan um, such as Harvey Vale who's been kind of turned into this generally a a number, uh, number 10 or an attacking midfielder who has been basically employed a left back for the for the majority of the time recently. Like there's there's a lot to work with, I would say, in the squad. And it kind of feels like Joey Barton made a rod for his own back where consistently in um in interviews he was talking about how good his side was and how much better they are than other teams and how, you know, they're they're gonna be right up there at the end of the season. But when you're sitting in sixteenth, then the buck has to stop somewhere. And I think in this case it was with Barton. So um Firstly, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up next. You know, he's someone who quite obviously divides opinion. I disagree with uh, most of what he says in in interviews, but he has taken Bristol Rovers up out of League Two. He got Fleetwood close to, well, into the playoff semi-finals to get into the championship. I think there will be an aspirational, probably League Two club that, that will look at Barton and see um, something they like from him. But in terms of who Bristol Rovers go in and get, it's got to be someone, I think, who plays that same way who who likes to encourage his team to play with freedom but has a bit of a track record of, of having a decent defence as well you know I think personally Carl Robinson has flaws to aspects of his management style but I think in terms of being a pure coach and someone who is able to take a group of really technically gifted attacking players and formulate them into a, a side that creates a lot of chances to score a lot of goals but are also Pretty defensively sound. I think he'd be a very good fit there. Um, but at the moment, you know, and, and he's someone who has won a promotion out of League One into the Championship before with MK Dons about ten years ago when he was in his late twenties. I think so. Um, he'd be someone who I would be surprised if he wasn't under consideration. But there don't seem to be any whispers about it at this stage.
0: Cheltenham beat Port Vale two one. That means it's two wins now this season for Cheltenham Town. Daryl Clark is cooking. Uh, he's back at Vale here, of course, uh, having left last season in well, what we've certainly considered to have been quite surprising circumstances. And it was his former assistant, Andy Crosby, in the dugout. So I'm sure this one would have been pretty sweet. The ITV highlights show did mention that the Vale fans were singing something along, along the lines of uh, something about Daryl Clark, positive, something positive about Daryl Clark, in support of Daryl Clark, who they remember fondly for taking them up out of League Two. Um, that's because they're not happy. Their team have picked up two points from eight games under Andy Crosby, and that's understandably uh, not good enough. It's actually a similar run, I think, that Clark had overseen before he was let go last season. Uh, Sean Long scored at the double exactly the sort of goals that Cheltenham need and weren't getting in that extended run without scoring. One of them uh, firing home after a long throw hadn't been cleared and then the second, uh, a massive deflection to loop in. Cheltenham winning 2-1 and Cambridge beat Carlisle, which after eight without a win was much needed. Uh, Liam Bennett's excellent cross was headed home by a late-arriving George Thomas, uh, who started most games this season in a central midfield role but lost his place in midweek and didn't start here either. It was almost like Mark Bonner was laying down the gauntlet to him, saying we need more from you, particularly in an attacking sense, particularly late arriving into the box and scoring. Well, there you go. This is more like it. Uh, there was a lot of concern during that run that that Cambridge's performance levels had dropped off massively. A one 0 home win against Carlisle is what they would have expected, and it's what they got. Uh, Carlisle have now failed to score in eight of their 16 league games. I'm kind of struggling for positives when it comes to Carlisle United at the moment. You know they are okay defensively in comparison to the teams around them. But the fact is that they struggle to score so much that just picking up one point alone uh, is... is They're finding it very, very difficult at the moment. Georgia, Exeter drew one all with Lincoln, uh, ended Exeter's run of seven defeats. I saw them midweek at Derby, and it was pretty bleak. Played with not a lot of coherence or confidence. Um, but... Dimitri Mitchell provided the spark for an equaliser here and they drew one all with Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln, one of the 10 clubs looking for a manager as well. I think it's quite an attractive job, the Lincoln job, personally, for a certain type. Uh, they've got a young squad, but not like absurdly young where there's not much to work with, just a lot of players between like 20 and 25. Uh, and what I perceive to be a very intelligent board and CEO and group of owners, um, Clive Nates in particular, who whenever I hear them speak, I think, yeah, 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 I think I think broadly the club's in pretty safe hands. So uh, that was uh, Lincoln one, an extra one, and then Burton nil, Leighton Orient nil was a match that happened. Does anyone want to be a League Two manager?
1: Because
0: oh. if so, good news, five vacancies. I'm up for it. Yeah, I thought so. Now, which job would you like most? We've got Gillingham available. We've got Bradford City still available. George Tranmere Rovers, of course. Uh, more recently, Colchester United. And the latest,
1: Grimsby Town. Ooh, definitely Grimsby, because I could live with in my in-laws. Free childcare.
0: Oh, it takes a village. Mm. It- ah. <laughs> 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 uh, he's walked straight into it. Um, well, interesting. I would personally take Bradford City, because I'm convinced that uh, if I had any experience in coaching you love a poison chalice and you. or badges i really think i'd be the one to take bradford all the way back up to the prem but uh, we'll never know because i have no coaching ability or credentials we'll get on to that stuff in a sec but we had a big old game between knots and rex who won
1: rex what score mil two
0: who scored lee and
1: palmer okay palmer. nice any extra thoughts yeah great game really end-to-end good game two good sides uh deflection for the first from lee it was kind of the moment of slice of luck i guess one of the sides needed in order to get ahead uh Kwonka made a lot of really good saves for Wrexham. he is a very good goalkeeper and um spoken maybe could have done better with Palmer's, but yeah Wrexham really good second half performance and they insert themselves i guess into the top three alongside stockport and um, and Mansfield
0: yeah I mean they already were but they, they, they no, no, still I are I mean
1: like they were, they're now like in it like, right. they are the three they already um, were no no but they're now like in it <laughs> right okay you'll, you'll get shrimpers of Suriname on your case soon if you're not careful <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay that reference will mean nothing to anyone <laughs> apart from one very specific uh, Morecambe fan Twitter account <laughs> which I have muted and George has not uh, Stockport beat Tramir 2-0 10 wins in a row is absurd in any league, at any level, towards the levels that you have to hit, the execution that you have to uh, perform. Absurd. 25 goals scored, six conceded. Couldn't have been more comfy here against the Tranmere side that have lost all seven games away from home, even with such a good game plan as laid out on the tactics board that was uh, photographed. Oh my God. Yeah? Did you like Tranmere Rovers' tactics board that was allegedly, well... We, I don't know for sure it was yeah. their tactics board, but it, a picture of it was taken in the car maybe,
1: park. Maybe it was actually for the, you know how sometimes at half time they do like a kids game. Yeah. Maybe it was that.
0: What, because it said start of the game, kick off. Start
1: the game, kick off. Yeah. Make sure, lads, make sure you remember to kick off.
0: I just don't think there's any harm in being really prepared for stuff even if it means saying the obvious like kick off. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, bad news for... Also, stop-
1: there was another thing in it where it said yeah. game management mm. and there was a line that said ref... Yeah. And then someone had written Scott and rubbed it out. And then had written Ben and then rubbed it out and then had written Paul. Which I wanna know is that like they couldn't work out who the ref was? Or like which player is in charge of managing the ref? Ah,
0: Ben Hinchliffe. Captain and goalkeeper. Maybe not captain, but goalkeeper.
1: But that was the that was the tramir board.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> it's not gonna be the stockport <laughs> keeper then, is it? I was like, wow. Idiot. Yeah. Um Bad news for Stockport in the week was that Louis Barry, our our friend Louis, got a a horrible injury uh, in midweek and will be out for for a long time, which is really sad. He's playing unbelievably well. And as he said to you, is feeling so happy, um, which hasn't always been the case in his five loan spells so far. Um, I guess the mitigation here is that Kyle Wooten is back from injury. Uh, Excellent. Target man for the level. Odin Bailey stepping up big time for them, uh, assisted Olafe for his millionth goal of the season uh, in the first half to put them one up. Stockport, 10 wins in a row. League leaders, absurd levels right now. Uh, Mansfield uh, are outside the top three in fourth. They beat Walsall 2 1. Uh, Flinty started scoring, which was always going to happen at some point, mm. wasn't it? Albeit both with his foot so far, none with his lovely head
1: think, of hair. I think it's because of his haircut. He used to think. To stops, well, he used to have Reverse not the amplitude. lovely locks, and now... No, 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 more like he just doesn't want to upset it.
0: Oh, he doesn't want to sort of mess it up. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Jordan Barry scored the winner with a, a sort of a bobbly, bouncing half volley <laughs> at the back stick. Mansfield winning. They're in good nick too. Uh, level on points with them, albeit having played a game more. is Crewe, who beat Harrogate 1-0. Yeah,
1: not a surprising scoreline, but maybe a surprising manner of victory where Harrogate weren't as poor as they normally are like Harrogate have been really poor in a lot of games this season and picked up 19 points here they went toe-to-toe with the team who've been you know who are one of the better well in terms, in terms of points tally one of the better sides in the division and um were undone by a long throw uh, a bouncing long throw that was headed into the back post but there was very little between the two sides um Baker Richardson missed a decent chance to make it 2-0 right at the death, but just before that Harrogate had two opportunities to get a leveller. So, um yeah, Crew are really interesting, where you know, we've spoken a lot about Wimbledon this season, we've spoken a lot about Crawley, you know, these sides who have surprised many in terms of their good form. And I I don't feel like, apart from praising um Baker Richardson, I don't feel like we've necessarily given Crew a load of credit. And I think partly, but certainly in my case, that is because I'm not convinced yet. Like I'm still not convinced they are the real deal. Like there's no denying how good their start has been, um, but when you look at the underlying numbers, there are too many red flags to get fully on board. It's going to be they've got a, a really interesting game coming up uh, in midweek um, where they host Norths County, and I think we're going to learn a lot about Crew in, in that one. Um, but I just wanted to because I, I do feel like they're they're sitting in fifth, and they're a side that we didn't have kind of high hopes for early on in the campaign. Um, and you know, Saturday was a another occasion where they've come out with three points, having not necessarily been um, at their best. You know, there wasn't their normal means of, of of winning games, which has been high scoring games where they've managed to to, to score a lot. This was a you know low margin one 0 win. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they get on, on in midweek against a side, a wounded animal in Knox County.
0: So you really upset shrimps of Suriname. Oh my god! When you tweeted the other day ominous for the rest of League Two. We actually wrote ominous for the reset of League Two because uh, there's a law that dictates you have to put a typo in every single pod. In uh, every pod? <laughs> every tweet. No,
1: it's a little typo, isn't
0: it? <laughs> my own law is that by the end of the League Two section, I physically can't build, construct, or complete sentences. I am getting my throat
1: thing back again.
0: Basically, you said stockport knotts and mansfield top four, and that's going to be the top four. And Shrimps of Suriname mm. has... Absolutely you misquoted me. absolutely hate it. You yeah. misquoted me. I'd be surprised if they aren't that way in some for the rest exactly. of the season. I would be surprised. We're, you're missing the point. Fine. Just let me get to the point.
1: I think you're taking Suriname's point.
0: Shrimps of Suriname.
1: <laughs> also, look, can, we, can we work out? Because I think most important to this whole thing, because I don't know if anyone really cares about my Twitter beef with random people on, on Twitter, is this genuinely a Surinamese Morkham?
0: fan club Morecambe FC supporters group based in Suriname yeah hashtag coys because
1: that's really cool if it is
0: very cool we've got Wickham Mexico Yeah, my friend Marcelo um, off the top of my head I can't think of any others but there's loads of good ones we've, from across a the world there's French Oxford account which is always quite fun Froxford and we I mean we want the EFL and therefore the listenership of this podcast to be as global as possible I mean, I, so I, yeah Shrimps of Suriname, look, I may have muted you on Twitter, but that's nothing personal. We'll come and
1: see you in Paramaribo.
0: Good luck to you. George, explain yourself, because basically, Morecambe are f- absolutely flying, right? Shrimps of Suriname having the time of his life. They've won four in a row. They're unbeaten in seven. Not only that, they're sixth at the moment with two games in hand over the top three, and they're only three points behind them. So Shrimps of Suriname saying, <laughs> why so hell-bent on this current top <laughs> four when if we win even one of our games in hand we'll be in and around it. If we win both of them, we'll be Knots and we will be in our rear view mirror.
1: Because this is just a classic case of not being able to express an opinion that is at odds with the league table. Ah. Like it's like, I have watched football, Ooh. these teams play football and my opinion is that those four teams will be the four teams at the top of the table at okay. the end of the season. That doesn't inherently have to, it's not me ruling out Morecambe being there. It's not me disrespecting Morecambe. It's not me at my peril (laughs) underrating Morecambe. It's just the case that I don't think they're as good as the other four, even if their points tally at the moment suggests otherwise. So it's just not that deep. Um, I think Morecambe, you know, to to, um, give some context to this, if you look at the betting odds, Morecambe are 10 to 11 to finish in the top half. Wow. So Bookie's basically there's like a 50-50 chance whether they finish in the top half or not. Uh. So for me to say that I don't think they're going to finish in the top four isn't quite as um, you know groundbreaking as it seems to be in Suriname right now.
0: Well, just it feels to a lot of us, me and Shrimps of Suriname included, that you're trying to pull up the drawbridge. <laughs> and there's 20 other teams in this league, and they've all got expectations and objectives. And anyway, the reason I kept banging on about Shrimps of Suriname is because I knew that if I kept bringing it up, we'd end up with a really strong answer from you. And that's my, that is my literally my job. So there Interestingly
1: you go. as well, Paramaribo, which is, I think, the... Um, Don't show
0: your face there, mate.
1: Well... Amsterdam meets the Wild West. Oh, my God. It's planet. It sounds incredible.
0: Do you reckon that is as... <laughs> I, my, my mind is instantly thrust to a place that I went to in Georgia called Batumi, uh, and that markets itself as the Las Vegas of the Black Sea. Wow. And I've been to Las Vegas, and I've been to Batumi, and I don't think advertising standards... I don't think they meet those because it, it didn't feel anything like Las Vegas oh, really? to me. Okay. It, it well, is on the Black Sea, though.
1: There's only one way to find out.
0: See you in Paramaribo. Uh, More can beat Wimbledon 4 1. A Michael Mellon hat trick. Another League good. Two hat trick. Yeah. What the
1: flip? He's very good.
0: He is good, isn't he? Nine and 13. And and that's
1: another issue they might have. Like, What if he leaves in Jan? Which he probably will. You'd think he's going to go to a League One club,
0: surely. Not just the goals, is it, with him? He's so active. Mm. Happy competing aerially. Energy and speed running the channels. And in behind. Bringing others into play as well, as we've seen with uh, other players like Mayer, McKinnon, Slough. Uh, This Morecambe team is much greater than the sum of its parts. And that's a Derek Adams masterclass. And we also had a beautiful... EFL highlights, rarity here. Rarity, rarity. Rarity. Rarity, which is a goal that the camera just doesn't pick up. Yeah. Never
1: saw that. Oh as well, it looks like it might be quite
0: funny. <laughs> it does look like a funny one. Uh, so that was a shame. Uh, Aki lost 1-0 to Colu. Uh, classy Arthur Reid for Colu. Speedy Joe Taylor scoring. Um, this, I'm going to say the words for you because these are the words that you will say otherwise. This is classic new manager bounce equals variance because they sacked Ben They've won back-to-back away games this week. They had a different caretaker manager in each game. <laughs> and across the two games, George, they faced 50 shots and they took 16, but they won both games. Uh, here, Aki had 34 shots against them, uh, but none of them went in and Colu have won back-to-back games. Poor Ben Garner. What about Mike Williamson's MK Dons? Back-to-back home wins this week. can me excited. Will I am, son. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> unlike luke williams <laughs> yeah exactly county um yeah they look good to be fair i think um they beat swindon three two swindon's form has taken a bit of a dive under uh mike flynn in the last couple of weeks and mk to a good value for their win here um max dean land the spores for you in the betting show um so well done to you and to him uh, in equal measure uh, a nicely taken goal Jet young Early in the second half, scored from distance for Juan Horace. Scored a, a lovely goal galloping forward from, from the back. What? Do maybe we love?
0: something. Centre backs scoring from open play.
1: Maybe something we'll see more with uh, Mike Williamson mm. and his expansive style. Mm. Uh, George McEachran uh, scored a nine goal late on before uh, Fraser Blake Tracy scored late, uh, late consolation. So it wasn't necessarily a game of loads of chances, but MK um, for the second game in a row showing that it's not taking Williamson long to implement his philosophies and his styles and get results to go alongside it as well. I am excited by the Dons.
0: Gillingham nil, Newport 2. What a massive win for Newport County. Just as I start getting worried about them, they pull something out the bag. Uh, This game saw two first-half penalties for Newport, both of them dispatched by Omar Bogle. After the first one, Bogle was racially abused by a Gillingham fan. It was one of the most disgusting, despicable and disgraceful things that we've seen in a long time uh, from a fan of an EFL club. Uh, Omar Bogle should be commended for the manner in which he responded. Uh, Gillingham have banned the fan for life. Brad Gallinson tweeted to say, nearly all Jill's fans are good people there to enjoy the day. One was not and will never be welcome at Priestfield again. Three others ejected for sexist and homophobic chants. They will either learn how to behave or not return. We will not stand for it.
1: He is, should not be welcome at any football stadium ever again. Pathetic
0: behaviour. Well done to Omar Bogle. Uh, two very well taken penalties they were too. Jills have had this kind of weird few weeks, uh, still waiting to appoint their new manager. Brad Gallinson has, has said today, as reported by Dan Sexton, that they are close to appointing a new manager. Could be an announcement this week. They've actually been... By our normal measurements, playing quite well. If you look at the XGs, Jills uh, have just been very wasteful. They've created the second highest XG in League Two in October, um, but have only scored five goals from around nine expected. So um, whoever takes over m- might feel the benefit of that. Uh, things might start flying in if they keep playing uh, the way that they are. Uh, Doncaster 1, Grimsby nil. Georgia, a poor game, settled by a penalty, scored by Doncaster. They're in really good form, uh, but Grimsby certainly are not. And after this game, very soon after the game, Paul Hurst was sacked. Um, the owner, Jason Stockwood, doing the, the post-match interviews in order to discuss the sacking. Uh, 21st in League 2, Grimsby, after four defeats in a row, seven defeats in their last nine. In his second spell, promotion from the National League, incredible cup run last season, four trips to Wembley as well. Um, but Hurston and Grimsby, parting ways now.
1: Yeah, he's clearly someone whose stock will always be very high. He'll always be held in incredibly high regard at Grimsby. You know, he's led Grimsby Town out of uh, non league on two separate occasions, both times uh, through the playoffs. He, um, last season, did an incredible job in terms of keeping them not only afloat, but making them a, a very good and capable League Two side. And you know, even though he is, I, I think a lot of Grimsby, Grimsby fans agree with the decision for him to move on, I, I don't think there's any um, animosity. Certainly, I think he leaves with everyone at the club's best wishes. Interesting to note that the owner of Grimsby, Jason Stockwood, talking or mentioning the word data quite a lot off the back of the um, decision being made. And I think that's probably just a sign that you know, as in terms of the long-term plan and the way the club want to operate going forward, even if Paul Hurst was the right man for the last three seasons, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's the right man to take them forward now. You know, if they want to operate, say, if they want to be data savvy, if they want to be data driven and data led, then realistically, the person to come in and be the head coach of the football team might be the different person to the one who comes in after a takeover to take a team out of the National League. So, um, yeah, it's it's a shame, I, I think, for, you know, it's always a shame when a, a manager who has done so much good at a club, uh, when their time comes to an end. But I'm, I'm personally very excited to see what Grimsby do now, because, um, you know, we, you and I are both aligned in terms of the way that I think we think the data has a role to play. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of profile of manager they go, go they go after to to kind of herald in this new dawn at Grimsby and, and crucially in the short term, ensure that results improve in order to make sure that they're not embroiled in a relegation battle come May.
0: Yes, two big wins down at the bottom for early season strugglers. Uh, specifically, Forest Green, who beat Crawley 2-1 uh, from behind. Crawley having gone ahead earlier, but Forest Green hitting back 2-1 up by half time. Thanks to Callum Morton. We will always celebrate Callum Morton goals. It's very clear that he adds a very important extra dynamic to Forest Green's attack. Uh, Crawley had a a few bits and bobs in the second half, but Forest Green saw it out. You know, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised with how they saw it out, given how poor they've been at home this season. And uh, they need to crack on from here, as does Sutton, who beat Bradford 2-1. Their their previous two wins in the league had been 5-1 and 4-0. This was more regulation. 2-1 win, three shots on target in the whole game. All of them went in. Uh, Bradford's Andy Cook scoring one and hitting the bar with a a brilliant volley Uh, but finally Sutton getting the rub of the green Uh, Barrow nil Salford nil was a match that happened well it's a bit of fun having you back I tell you yeah I enjoyed it good good because let's hope for another four-year streak where neither of us misses a Monday pod that's
1: so sad isn't it well no misses one by mistake (laughs) unplanned
0: I I think you might have planned that illness. I saw you licking a few handrails in the building. Oh God,
1: never. I've never felt that grim and sorry for myself. It was horrible.
0: (laughs) What a way to finish. Thanks for listening to this, not the top 20 podcast. Drop us a a rating, a starred rating on Spotify if you're listening through that. Because I think it helps us. I can't, specify as to why but I think it helps us Um, we've had an absolute blast and we hope that you're enjoying following the EFL via us and our content this season sign up to ntt20.com if you want more of it in your eyes as well as your ears and thank you to Betfair for sponsoring our podcast we'll be back on Thursday with a betting show go out (laughs) 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 Uh, it's good to be back